Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. And don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, Always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely, because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to see you all here this morning. It's good to be here. So, I thought a lot about what... To say this morning. Uh, now, lest that surprise you, let me just qualify that by saying I always think a lot about what I will say to you on a Sunday morning. But given the occasion, I thought perhaps 
a bit differently about this occasion and this morning and I thought I want to say something about what we all need and that's what I want to bring this morning. In, I want to bring some thoughts about what we all need. Now, just stop for a moment, think, what do we all need? Turn to the person next to you and tell them what you think we all need. What do we all need? To be not sure is okay. What do we all need? Well, here's my, let me tell you my answer. We all need repentance. Who scored that? Who did? We all, we all need repentance. Now, I want to try to convey to you something of the, the, the real gift that that word is. And I found this quote by someone else that put it that this repentance is a gift. The Christian message of repent is pure love from God. It confronts us in our sin, tells us that we can be changed and be forgiven, sets our hearts towards Jesus and stops us from harming others and ourselves. Repent is one of the most beautiful words you can ever hear. I thought that was a really good capture of it. When we understand that this is actually... You remember when Jesus begins his ministry on the earth and the very first message that's often, that comes out of his mouth is this word repent. The invitation is to come, that there's, there's an opportunity for change, there's an opportunity to change the direction of your life, to change what's going on, to be forgiven, to, to come into a place of relationship with God that changes your life now and for all eternity. It's a beautiful word. So the key thing is that repentance leads to Christ. And this is what we read from Colossians 3, 1 to 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Get your, get your eyes off the, the stuff that's going on. We all get embedded in the life that we're living and in the day-to-day -day struggle and battles and all those kind of things. But there's this invitation that to remind ourselves that we've been raised to new life in Christ. And so we want to lift our gaze higher, even though we're, we're in a conflicted world and we've got problems and difficulties, we want to lift our gaze up higher to where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. We want to think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, because the life that we are living is not our real life. Our real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Now, for those of you that know something of the biblical story and what's going to happen when Jesus returns and the glory that's to come, that phrase ought to just really lift your spirit right there. Ought to really lift you because it's like, he's going to be seen and I'm going to share in his glory, you know. There was a term about when your football team wins that you're burging which is B-I-R-G, basking in reflected glory. Because like my team won. 
What did you contribute to the victory? Absolutely nothing, but your team won and you feel good about yourself. You feel good about your team. And this is the reality. If you're on team Jesus, it leads to holiness. And this is again from Colossians 3.12. Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves... And then it goes on and says you must do some certain things. This reality, again, we come back to the beauty of this. Since God chose you, the mystery and the wonder of that's eternal. You didn't choose him, he chose you and he chose you to be holy. Which many of you know that this word actually means, it doesn't mean like morally pure, although it moves you in that direction, but it means you're chosen, you're set apart for him, you belong to him now, you no longer live for yourself. But repentance actually requires something of you. And I'll put it like this, repentance requires death. And again, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, verse 5, he says, put to death things lurking within you put to death when you put something to death what happens it dies right it doesn't come back put to death these things and so um, I was thinking about this phrase uh, in the scriptures and I wrote this sentence repentance requires perpetual personal internal violence against everything that resists God's character and his word that's what repentance is that it requires of us. It requires, this is what I'm speaking to you as an, as a member who's lived quite a bit longer than some of you and a little bit less than some of you as well. But so this is the thing that I've found over the course of my life from being uh, a really enthusiastic teenager following Jesus and loving him to now being somewhat a little bit older than a teenager and a bit more mature and understanding. But I've understood this reality that this journey doesn't stop, that it requires this perpetual internal violence, like not violence against other people, that's not Jesus, but this internal putting to death. And the thing is that you keep going on and things keep surfacing and you go, wow, I didn't know that about myself. And you go, but the good thing is that God knew about that and he knew that before I knew it and he still chose me to be holy, Right? Okay, it doesn't surprise God, it surprised me. I hear stuff coming out of my mouth and I'm going, where did that come from? It like came from the cesspool in my heart. And it's like, that doesn't shock God. God chose me to be his and belong to him and the same for you as well. So we, we work together to put to death things. So repentance needs others because everything God has done in our lives is unproven until it's refined and demonstrated their misrelationships. It does. I need other people. I need people in my life because there's no way to verify the work of God's grace in us if we are independent of others. There isn't. Nor is there any way to demonstrate godliness except through interaction with others. You see, it's in the interaction with, with other people that I find out how unholy I am in a sense, how much I still need to change. Oh, you're a gift to one another, everybody. If you have conflict, that's not necessarily a good thing, but it could be evidence that there's something more that God wants to change in you. Something more that he wants to demonstrate. And this is the thing that repentance produces change. 
Repentance produces deep change within us to conform every thought, word and behaviour to God's character and commands. That's where the road of repentance leads. Everybody needs repentance. Remember he said that at the beginning. What do we all need? We all need repentance. Repentance produces this deep change to conform every thought, every word and behaviour to God's character and commands. That's the goal of repentance. Now, a number of years ago, I read a really helpful book, and uh, the person that was the author of that was a gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Larry Crabb, and he used an iceberg analogy, and I found a picture of an iceberg on the internet, and he talks about the, the repentance, actually, because remember, it's this ongoing, lifelong process, um, that's, that's from a biblical perspective, that that first of all, the top of the iceberg, the tip that's visible to people is, is direction, relationships is sort of crosses the waterline there's there's some stuff above the waterline but that's evidence of stuff that's changed underneath the waterline but then right down the very bottom is this change in my fundamental being now i'm going to unpack these things so uh, just let's walk through this so we come back to this thing from the scriptures in colossians 3 3 to 4 where paul says for you have died to this life and your real life is hidden with christ in god And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. So this thing again, it's like repentance is that thing of, I have died to this life. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? In a a culture that is telling us all, be who you want to be. You can be anyone and anything you want to be. And I literally mean that. You can be anything you want to be. Some of you are not quite with me on that, but that's okay. You'll catch up. Um, so this idea that actually, no, my life doesn't belong to me. I don't have the final say. I don't have complete control over my life. I've given my life to God. My life is actually a gift from God, first of all, and all I've done is return him his property, so to speak. Because my life came from him, my life belongs to him. And so I'm actually dying to what I think my life should be. That is painful. It's painful. So the first part of repentance is this thing of the direction of my life, which is to say, my life was going, I planned this for my life. That's the direction my life is going in. And the first part of repentance is to say, firstly, I'm rebellious against God. That's where repentance begins, is the recognition, I'm living independently of God. I don't give a, anything about God. I'm just living my life. I'm just doing whatever I want to do. Many of you, like me, we were in that place at one point, but we've since come to Christ. We've, we've done this. We, we've understood that we were rebellious against God and that Jesus Christ has redeemed and reconciled me to God. And so repentance here requires submission allegiance and obedience to Jesus Christ. So that's where we begin. We bow the knee. We say, Jesus, you're the Lord. You are the one that is saving the world, including me. You are the one who is redeeming and reconciling people from every tribe and tongue and nation on the earth and making them a people who worship God. That's what you're doing, Jesus, and I want to be part of that. And you might be here this morning 
because I don't know all of you in the room. I don't know where you are at. I don't know if you've actually done that. But I want to encourage you today, if you have never actually given up your rebellion against God, whether that be active or passive, and said, Jesus, you am, I'm going to put my hope in you. I'm going to stop living the way I want to live. I'm going to stop being rebellious against God. I'm going to actually submit to you, Jesus. I'm going to give you my allegiance. And I'm going to begin to, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to learn what that means. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to learn what that means. It'll be the greatest decision you've ever made in your life to do that today. Seriously will be. Many of us have done that in this room. We know what it is. And we've done that. And our lives have been changed and transformed by Jesus, because of Jesus and by the power of Jesus. So that's, the, that's where repentance begins. But the iceberg needs to go through a few more layers. So let's just walk through a few more of this thing. In my relationships, you got relationships in your life? Anyone got relationships? Anyone got hurt and disappointment in relationships? We all do. And we're, we're committed to avoid pain. We, we go, I don't want the pain of relationships. And so some people withdraw completely from relationships. They do that at a very young age. They go, I have minimal contact with other human beings and we develop a self-protective strategy to protect our hearts from hurt and disappointment. Relationships are some of the most painful things and some of the most joyful things you can have, aren't they? When they're going well, when a relationship, when relationships are going well, it's, you're like all sunshine, hey? Happy days? You know, happy days. Because it's like, my life is great and glorious. My relationships are working. They're functional. They're healthy. I'm enjoying my friends. My friends are enjoying me. I'm enjoying my family. My family are enjoying me. It's great and glorious, okay? But for many of you, those days are rare. And most of us are carrying pain in our hearts from relationships, from disappointment. You know, sometimes our marriages are not going how we actually thought they would. We got married, we were full of hope and joy that our life was going to go on an upward trajectory. It was just going to get better and better. And then we woke up the next morning and we found that even just at being married a few hours, it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And it actually requires work. And we're still doing that. And sometimes it, it turned out to be incredibly painful. And in fact, it turned out to be something that crushed. And that relationship no longer exists. But the choice here is that we will protect ourselves. And so in the place of realizing my heart is hurt and disappointed by things that people have said and done to me. Repentance requires obedience to God and saying, Jesus, I don't know how to do relationships. Would you please help me? Because somehow you navigated it and you suffered a heck of a lot more than I did. And yet you continue to love God and love people and move towards people. I want to be able to do that. The thing about it is, when we become fearful, fearful of pain in our relationships, it actually destroys relationships. Um, 
great Catholic mystic Henri Nouwen said, fear is the great enemy of intimacy. Fear makes us do two things. It either makes us run away from each other or cling to each other, but it doesn't create true intimacy. Can you see how those two things might work? You see, you know, some people run away. The fear, the fear of actually someone getting close to them causes them to run away. So there's no intimacy there. But then the flip side of that, or the reverse of that, is the fear that you might run away causes me to cling to you. So I hold on to you so tightly. I'm never going to let you go. I can't live without you. But that also crushes and destroys intimacy as well because then the other person isn't free to love you as you are. They're compelled because they're terrified that if that you'll be hurt and devastated and you'll do something horrendous if you, if you let them go. So intimacy is this space where two people can come together and connect with one another, but they, they still maintain their freedom. Neither is being controlled or compelled by the other person. They're free to love and free to give in that relationship. And that's the place of true intimacy. So that's the goal. And when you look at the life of Jesus, you see this played out so well by Jesus. He, he didn't run away from people and nor did he cling to people. And nor did he actually let people um, run away from him you know, or cling to him in that kind of way. One of the things you see Jesus doing so skillfully in relationships is bringing some separation from people who were trying to cling to him and control him. He goes disappearing. At the peak of his fame, you know, when, when, when we're thinking, okay, Jesus, we're on a real roll here. The social media numbers are up. Everything is working for us. The publicity is up. There's a whole line of interviews, that, like all the major networks and everyone want to interview. What does Jesus do? I mean, none of that existed in Israel in the first century, but just imagine that it did. What does Jesus do? He goes, I'm not playing that game. I'm not going to be controlled by what other people think about me. I've got an audience of one and there's other people that I want to go to and share his love with. So fearless relationships is really what I want to encourage you with this morning. We have to, we have to move, and this takes work and effort. That's why I'm saying it's repentance because it's, it's this thing of like, I actually have fear in my relationships. Now, that's a good starting point to acknowledge that. I, I am actually afraid of people really seeing me as I am. And I think part of what Paul is saying in Colossians three eighteen and on, where he's got these scriptures about wives submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't aggravate your children. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than people. I think this is all about having being courageous and having being fearless in my relationships. You can't do those things 
if you have fear in your relationship. I tell you as a husband, I cannot love my wife and not treat her harshly if I've got fear in my relationship. A wife will struggle to submit to her husband's leadership in a fitting way as someone who belongs to the Lord if she is afraid of him. Children always struggle to obey their parents, but parents need to be parents and need to bring correction to their children, but to do it in a way that honours God. And so it's interesting that Paul makes a special mention straight after that thing about children where he says he speaks straight to us as dads. Saying, Dad, fathers, don't exasperate, don't aggravate, don't frustrate your children. And provo- uh, one of the translations says, don't provoke them to anger. It's an easy thing to do as a dad to provoke your child, to get a reaction out of them. Easy thing to do. Uh, this thing of what... God is calling us to as his people is to live in fearless relationships, relationships that are free of fear. I do want to come back and make a comment about wives submit to the Lord because this one always, you know, um, comes in for a bit of a caning. Like, in fact, there, there are women that, um, like this is in the marriage vows most many people used for hundreds of years. Uh, but in recent days, it's been quite a, there's been quite a trend of women not saying this, of removing the promise to submit to her husband. And that's primarily because we don't understand what it means. And because um, there's been some very bad examples of men who think it means that, that the wife should do whatever he says, whenever he says it. When he says jump, she should say how high. Okay, we're not going to have a show of hands, ladies, of how many of you in a marriage like that. Um, but that's not what Paul is talking about. It's not what God is talking about at all. You see, God's not asking you to submit to an abusive husband. He's not asking you to, to submit to a husband that wants you to commit a crime. He's not asking for anything like that. And sometimes submission is for, for a wife is to smile at her husband who's asking you to do something that she knows will not please the Lord and smile sweetly and say, no, thank you, or words to that effect. You think, well, how is that submission? Because the submission is is. Um, prefaced, if you like, or followed by it's, your submission is a way to demonstrate that you belong to the Lord. You see, you aren't your husband's property, which in, these, in the time that Paul was writing, women were pretty much a husband's property, as children were as well. So Paul is actually elevating women, saying, submit to your husbands, but do it in a way that f- 
is fitting for the Lord, as someone who belongs to the Lord, as a way of you doing it in a way that honors Jesus. So anything that your husband is asking you to do that dishonors Jesus, your answer is no, I'm not doing that. It's not a blank check. And then the next verse, for Paul follows that up with this thing about husbands, we are to love our wives and never treat them harshly. I have failed miserably many times in our almost 39 years of marriage and have needed to go and ask for forgiveness, confess my sin and ask for forgiveness. But, I, but I've kept my gaze on Jesus and saying, Jesus, help me to love my wife the way you love your bride. And that's, that's been my enduring prayer. And there was a period in our marriage where that was a daily, daily, daily prayer. So, men, it's a good one. Just say, if you go, Jesus, help me to love my wife as you love your bride. Help me to do that. So we need to have repentance in our relationships. And this is, again, this pursuing change. And Paul goes on in Colossians 3, 5, and says, so this is what this looks like. What repentance in a relationship looks like is I, get, I have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Now, for those of you who are not, not sure what that means, from God's perspective, biblical perspective, sexual morality is sexual, the sexual act and everything around that inside a covenant marriage relationship between a man and a woman. That is God's definition of sexual morality. Sexual immorality is everything else that goes around with that. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust and evil desires. Don't be greedy. Greedy person is an idolater, worshipping things of the world. One of the things that greed destroys relationships. I don't know if you've noticed that. But I look at some of, it's not always the case, but I look at some of the wealthiest people in the world and their wealth has been driven by greed, the incessant need for more and more wealth and perhaps power as well. And that, that is a form of worship that the Bible says is idolatry. And what that ends up doing is destroying the relationships around about that person. And then Paul goes on and said, now's the time to get rid of anger. How are you going with that one? Who's got rid of their anger? Let's have a show of hands. Yep, good, well done. Help the rest of us. Who's got rid of rage and malicious behavior, slander, dirty language? Who's got rid of lying? White lies, black lies, yellow lies, all the other colour lies. So now, now I think we call it misdirection or um, the old term was spin doctoring. It's like how do we spin this? How do we tell this ter- ter- you know, so that we don't actually come out and say we lied, we misled you, we deceived you, we come at it from a, you know, a way that Yes, you didn't fully understand what I was saying. What I meant to say, what I was, well, these things, all those things, you know. Don't lie, we've stripped off our old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. And here's a ripper, make allowance for each other's faults. 
and forgive anyone who offends you. Now, remember Paul speaking to people in the church. We've got to model this. I, I, I've had so many conversations over the, the number of years that I've been doing my job as a pastor of people who got offended by another Christian and they've stopped going to church. They've stopped belonging to the body of Christ. They've even, some of them even stopped worshipping Jesus. And they're like, hang on a minute. We are forgiven by God and we are meant to express that in our relationships. We've got the, the horizontal forgiveness, the vertical forgiveness. We're meant to express it horizontally. Thank you very much, whoever corrected me. I appreciate that. We're meant to make allowances for each other's faults. So now I want to say that's not necessarily each other's sins. <laughs> it's, it's faults. Sometimes we, you know, we miscommunicate. Anyone that's been, been in a, got a friendship going with someone else will find that there's miscommunication. One of the challenges that we've got in our culture right now is we get messages via texts and we don't hear the tone of voice. Which is why emojis were created, I think, to try to help people understand the tone of voice. But in the olden days, we always called people or we had face-to-face conversations. And so, you see, you know, alphanumeric characters on a screen don't convey... The body language, the posture, the mood, the facial expressions that a person has. And emojis are not the answer. A bit more pick up the phone and chat to one another. Do a face-to-face. Do that. We would actually, a lot of relationship faults would be sorted because we read words on the screen, and I do this as well. We read words in an email and we go, oh my goodness, and we think we catastrophize or we victimize or we go that person's a loser or whatever we might say because we didn't hear them so one of the things we can actually do to improve our relationships is actually communicate okay so we're up to this is the second level of the iceberg and that was the longest bit of my teaching for this morning so we come back to this place of I'm hurt and disappointed and I'm committed to avoid pain and I need to repent of that I need to turn away from that commitment to avoid pain and be willing to obey God and do relationships like Jesus that's what I need to do and that requires lots of lots of change internally and I'll tell you the thing that you need to do most work on is not so much your relationships with humans, but your relationship with God. When you are strong in terms of who your identity is, that your identity is from God, that you are anchored in the fact that he loves you 
way more than any other human being could, that he has accepted you in Christ. So this is going back to the first bit of chapter 3. All of those things. Then I can move towards you because you might hurt me. It will hurt me. I will be disappointed. But my life is not anchored in that reality. My life is anchored somewhere else. It is anchored in who God says he is and who he says I am. I'm secure in his love. It's part of the reason why we continually pray Ephesians 3, 16 to 19, that we would be a people who would be rooted and grounded, anchored in the love of God, that we would know his love more and more and more. When we are in that place, we can love one another. We can. If we're not strong in knowing that we are loved by God, and that actually all the love we have, you, have more, you will have more love to give away the deeper your roots go into the love of God. The larger your heart will come, and this is the th- whole thing, we need in the church, now this is going to sound a little bit weird, but just listen carefully, we ought to be high-capacity lovers. High-capacity lovers. Not low-capacity lovers, High capacity lovers, right? You know, we ought to be the greatest lovers on the planet, ought to be found in the church. And people connecting with us ought to experience something of God's love when they interact with us. It's one of my constant prayers with people. So this whole thing of God enlarge my heart, so that I will love the way that Jesus loves is, a, is an incredible prayer to pray. Okay, let's move on to the final level of this uh, iceberg. This is in the core of my being. Now we're, now we're really down into deep waters here in this iceberg. This stuff, so we've started up at the surface with direction. We've moved on to relationships, which is crossing over. Now we're in the very depths where we go, actually, the, reality, the truth about me is, and I faced this a number of years ago, I'm actually fearful and uncertain as a man or a woman living in a conflicted world where nothing is right apart from God. Fearful, I'm uncertain. I'm uncertain. I don't know how to be a man. That was what was going on for me, obviously, because I'm a man. Women, it would be a similar thing. I don't know how to do, how do I do this woman thing. Like really, like I thought I knew, but I actually don't. How do I do this? Um, it's a, the world is conflicted. Nothing's right except for you, God. I love being with you, God, but people are just painful and, and I'm confused and I just don't know how to do this. And this is what it is. And so repentance requires following Christ into the world and offering my being as a man or a woman for the righteous good of others. We just say, this is who I am. This is what I bring. I'm secure in knowing God loves me. And I'm offering who I am for the righteous good of others. That's what I'm after. So think of this from Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8, where Paul encapsulates what this righteous good of others means for Jesus. Christ Jesus, although he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
If you have spent any time in Philippians 2 and if you've thought about the descent of Jesus, we were singing worship to him this morning. If you think about he laid aside that glory to become a man and even not just a man but a servant, a slave, He emptied himself completely of all of his entitlements as God, so to speak, took on the form of a servant, and he humbled himself and became obedient to God even to the point of death. That is the kind of thing that God is looking for you and me, that we would offer ourselves, we'd be willing to lay aside what we think we're entitled to, which in this day and age is phenomenal, like all the sense of entitlement that we all think we we should have. And sadly, children and grandchildren, teenagers, young adults, you're growing up in it. You actually don't know any difference, so you need to study the life of Jesus to look at what it means to lay aside your entitlement, to humble yourself, to offer your life for the righteous good of others. In that way. So let's land this with putting all three of those pieces together. Repentance is this deep level iceberg. It deals with our direction. It deals with our relationships. It deals with our sense of being in the very core of our being. And what repentance leads to. What do we all need? We all need repentance. And repentance produces little Christ ones. Do you know that's the... Now, when, when the followers of Jesus were first called Christians, that's what that word meant. didn't mean... I mean, it has a whole range of meanings today. People interpret it different ways. But it meant those people that we see around us, they're little Jesuses walking around. So that's what the word Christian actually means, little Christ ones. And this is what Paul says, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you'll share in his glory. And so that is what I want to leave you with on this day. We all need repentance And it's a repentance that takes us on that deep water iceberg journey to produce little Christ ones in us. And as someone who's entered that older stage of life, it's it's my hope that you see evidence of Christ in me. That's my greatest desire. You see evidence of Christ in, in me. And my... My second greatest desire is that somehow my life might help you, motivate you to pursue Christ for yourself and to pursue becoming all that he laid hold of you for so that you, as you go around your life, your circle of influence, people experience you as a little Christ. You aren't the Messiah, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the saviour of the world, I'm not confused about any of those things. But I want people to see Christ in me. 
want them to hear Christ in my voice. I want them to see Christ in my words, both the spoken words and the words I write. And do you know what? Going back to the very beginning when I said we all need people, I still need people to help me in that because I don't get it right every day. I get it right more days now than I did when I was younger. But I still need people to help me and to come alongside me at times. And there are people in this body who do that. There are people, my family does that for me, but there's others in this community that do that for me as well, that help me in that. And I thank you for it. And I say, let's keep going. Let's keep doing that to one another. Let's keep helping one another grow and become more like Christ. Will you pray with me? In this moment of quietness where we just pause for a moment, I want to encourage you, if you've never done it, to first of all submit to Jesus and give him your allegiance. To give up your living your own life independent of him and to give him your allegiance. And submit to him and say, Jesus... I want to learn to live for you. Help me. Teach me. There are others in the room. You realize that your relationships are pretty messy and don't really, there's a lack of the revelation of Christ in your relationships. And so I invite you to ask Jesus, Jesus, teach me to love people like you love people. Teach me truly to relate in the way that you relate, Jesus. Deliver me of all my fears might be a prayer that some of you want to pray. Heal me of my hurts and my disappointments so that I can move confidently. Enlarge my heart, Jesus. Ask Jesus to make you a high-capacity lover in the world and the people all around about. Glorious God, I thank you that you choose us by your grace. None of us deserve to get chosen by you. None of us did anything to earn the fact that of you choosing us, it is your choice. You, you chose to choose us. You chose to lavish your love on us. You chose to call us to be belong to that company of your people that you're gathering together through the ages to be a people set apart for you. So first of all, we say thank you to you, God. Thank you for your amazing grace that chose us, knowing everything about us, knowing all the issues in our lives, knowing the depths of the rebellion in our heart, our self-centeredness, all these things, God, thank you that you knew all those things. None of them surprised you and you still chose chose us and called us by your name, redeemed us through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We say thank you for that reality. And Heavenly Father, my prayer is that you continue to open open our eyes 
all of us, God, open the eyes of our heart and fill the eyes of our heart with light to see and behold you more. And God, take the roots of our life deeper into the soil of your marvelous love. That we would be a people in our families, like our our individual lives, but also our families, Lord, and our whole community would be a people who are anchored in your love. Strengthened and nourished. And so out of that root system, out of we're drawing up the love of God into their hearts every single day so that we have more and more of it to give away to other people around about us. Lord, we've all got people in our lives that are far from you, that don't know anything about your love. So God, as, as we wrap up today and we go out into the world and into our places of work this week fill us with your love to be carriers of your love so to have love to give away to all the people that we're going to meet this week this too is this is something you do it's not something it's not a power that we have in ourselves it's something that you do we rely on you to fill us with the fullness of your life and power for your purposes. And that's my prayer as we wrap up today in your name and for your honour, Father, Son and Spirit. Amen.